Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of I'm a Believer, Now What? I'm your host, Tim Perko, and today we're going to go ahead and start our journey through the Book of Romans. Why I chose the Book of Romans? Well, the reasoning is there's no other book in the Bible, in my opinion, that gives in a complete outlook on the gospel. The, the way Paul wrote it in this letter to the Roman church was just amazing and how he laid out everything and gives a complete explanation on the gospel. Now, this book in itself, of course, is very, can be very controversial when it comes to the actual Christian faith and breaking down these secondary and tertiary issues, as I always call it. It's academic arguments, not really an argument on salvation itself, but arguments of what's in. And, th and that's really where we get a lot of different denominations from. We're going to try to get through all that stuff and pretty much break down Romans and how we can apply Romans to our everyday life. Once again, I chose this because I really feel like it gives the most complete description of the gospel. And whenever I'm recommending a book for a new Christian to read, it's always going to be Romans, just because of that gospel message that it presents throughout the entire book. So we're going to break this down chapter by chapter for each episode. So obviously today we're going to go on chapter one, which in itself in today's world can be a very controversial chapter. Not controversial from a Christian standpoint, but controversial from the world standpoint. All right, so first I do want to give a background of the book of Romans. This was written by Paul. If you don't know who Paul was, he is known as the apostle to the Gentiles, who are Gentiles. That's People who aren't Jewish, that's who we are. Paul was our appointed apostle. Paul has a wonderful story if you haven't heard of it. We will definitely get into that at some point in time. But if not, you can look in Acts and read the story of Paul. It's an amazing story. Uh, this was most likely written in Corinth. Uh, you can reference that in Romans 16.23. Pretty much gives some indications that he was in Corinth. And it was also written around the time around 56 AD from what most scholars say. The letter uh, was provided for doctrinal and practical instructions to the Romans because Paul himself didn't have a chance at this point in time when he wrote it to go out to Rome to pretty much validate that church, put his stamp of approval on it that they're, they're doing the right things. And, and you can tell when you read this book that he, he really had a desire to go there. He wanted to go to Rome. All right, let's go ahead and start off with the first verse of Romans. This starts off as a greeting. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So right there on the first verse, you can see that Paul uses the word bondservant. What exactly is a bondservant? There's, there's a deep meaning to this word. A bondservant was something more than a servant. It was something more than a slave. It, it almost means, in the Greek translation, a, a willing slave. It means you are a, he is a willing slave for Jesus Christ. He has given Jesus Christ complete control of his life. He has given his complete control of his life up to the Spirit, and he is a slave. So whatever the Lord wills, Paul wants to do. He is a complete and willing slave to him. We'll continue on with verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. So you can see here, this is a standard introductory portion where Paul's pretty much just laying out what we are, what we believe. 
in verse 7, he says, we are called, uh, and we're about to get to that, to whom are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. There, there's a specific word right there. We are called to be saints. So don't ever let anybody ever tell you that you know, saints are up on this high pedestal and there are only certain people that certain people can name to be saints. No, we as Christians are all saints. And it's said in numerous different parts of the Bible. We are called to be saints. Continue on with verse 7. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to dive into verse 8. And this is where you really see Paul's desire to visit Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you all always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now, that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. See, this is, this is what's so important there about those select verses is you could just see his willingness that he wants to go to Rome, but he also is listening to the spirit. He has a personal desire to go to Rome, but he's listening to the spirit. He's listening to where the spirit is pulling him to go to. And obviously at this point in time, it's not to go to Rome. And we can apply that to our everyday lives. There are so many times where me personally as a Christian, and I'm sure you've gone through it before. And if you haven't, you probably will, where you get on fire for the Lord and something. And maybe you want to jump into this and you're so sure and you're so right and you feel like this is the spirit pulling you. And then in hindsight, after you complete that task, you look back and you'd be like, man, you know what? This was kind of this was kind of my emotions leading me here and not the spirit. Most of the time when the spirit talks to me, I honestly don't know it until after the fact. I've never personally had Jesus or the spirit speak to me in some physical voice and tell me, Tim, this is where you need to go and this is what you need to do. It's more so of a of a tugging and it's difficult sometimes to manage that and to understand is this my emotion speaking to me or is this the spirit speaking to me and most of the time I figure that out in hindsight I'm like man that really was the spirit calling me out to do this you know whether I did it or not uh, but you know I, I really know in hindsight whether or not it was my own emotions or the spirit but you can see here Paul is completely submissive to the spirit here he, he wants to go to Rome but he knows God's will doesn't want him to go there just yet. I'm going to continue on from verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Moving into verse 13. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just, among, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Once again, just reiterating that fact that he really wants to go there. He wants to spread this gospel message and talk about what God shown him to these people out there in Rome. All right, we, now we're going to move into verse 16. And this is the just live by faith. Man, this passage of verses right here is one of my all-time favorites in the Bible from verse 16 to verse 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first 
and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Man, like that verse right there just sums up how we can apply Christianity, God's message, the Spirit in us, into our daily lives. Just from that first verse in verse, uh, verse 16 of chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There is no reason for us to ever be ashamed of the fact that we are a Christian. Because this is the faith that saves people. This is saving people. And obviously us as Christians, we aren't called to ever hate people or discriminate on people or to treat people as if they're lower than what they actually are. We are there to show them this message and to spread God's love to them in hopes that they become saved as well. In fact, the word gospel in itself, if you didn't know already, means good news. The word gospel means the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gift that is given to us eternal life and salvation and the forgiveness of all of our sins. All right, we'll keep on going with verse 17 and hit up on that. The just shall live by faith. This verse, this verse was the very verse that inspired a very important monk way, 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 way back in time. Uh, And that monk's name was Martin Luther. If you don't know anything about Martin Luther, go find a book, pick a book up, just Google his name, read about him. And there's a lot of good stories that you can find on YouTube and, uh, and uh, other sources of media that talk about Martin Luther. But man, Martin Luther was pretty much the first person to start speaking out against what, was the Catholic, what the Catholic Church was doing in that point in time. He was so concerned about salvation and being secure in that salvation. And the way the Catholic Church was going at that time, man, he, he really wasn't secure in that faith. And then he started reading the Bible. And he came upon this verse, you know, the just shall live by faith. And he mulled that over and he was like, by faith, by faith. In other words, saying we are saved by faith through grace alone. There is no other way. There's no amount of works that we can do to get to heaven. If you're in a church or if you're somebody's ever telling you that you, okay, that's cool. You accepted Christ as your savior. You repented for your sins. Okay, now you have to do this, that, and whatever. No, that's wrong. The just shall live by faith. We are saved by faith through grace. You add anything else onto that, and that's works. Whether it's somebody telling you, okay, good job, you got saved. Now you have to immediately go get baptized. Okay, now you immediately have to you know, say these certain prayers after you do that. No, they're wrong. We live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We are saved by faith through grace. I cannot repeat that enough because there's so many messages out there that distort the gospel and try to add on works to our saving grace there is no amount of works that we can possibly do to save us because at the end of the day there is no way we are totally deprived as human beings there is no way that we can come to god except by god coming to us and drawing us to him and then ultimately accepting that gift of christ dying on the cross all right now we're going to move on to verse 18 and this is where it kind of starts getting hot and heavy and things that you can look at in these next passages of verses and really apply to the world today. So this, the, these next passages of verses really sum up God's wrath on the unrighteous. So, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known to God is manifest in them, for God has shown them, 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, let's stop there and let's look at that. So a lot of times people always get the question of, well, what if the message didn't reach this person? What if these people didn't know about God because, you know, the people didn't come to the Americas yet, you know, and they weren't able to preach to the Native Americans that were living here. Right here in this verse, it tells you they are without excuse. Verse 20, they are without excuse because everything is made manifest in God's showing the image of God, the way the wind blows, the trees, life itself, the bugs, the animals, the fact that we can walk, talk, chew, and breathe, and do all these functions without even thinking about it is all signs that point to God. They're all are a testimony to the fact that God is there. It's not some accident. We didn't crawl out of a puzzle of ooze. You know, there is a grand design behind that, and that grand designer is God. And talking about the Native American life, if you read into some history books, when the first missionaries came over and the first people started coming over to the Americas, they found that these Native Americans did have some type of form of religion. What that religion was, I don't know. I know some was monotheistic and some was polytheistic. But at the end of the day, they had some belief. They knew that their creation and the life around them wasn't, didn't just happen. They knew something bigger was behind it. I'm not going to try to decipher all that stuff because I'm not qualified and I'm not a historian. But they did know they had some type of recognition that, hey, there's something more to just us being here and the way everything's working out. All right, picking it back up off verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. All right, let's stop there real quick. So rather, they people just rather live in sin and ignore God. That's what it's talking about. They'd rather live in their sin. It sounds a lot like today. People generally, they don't want to feel bad about what they're doing. That's one of the reasons why I think, you know, human-wise, we a lot of people don't like to go to church, or a lot of people don't even want to begin to believe in God because they don't want to feel bad about what they're doing. They don't want someone to tell them that going out to the nightclub, getting, you know, completely drunk and then having sex outside of their marriage is wrong. They don't want to feel that the drugs that they're doing is wrong. They don't want to feel that the lifestyle that they're living is wrong. They don't want to feel guilty about it. They'd rather have somebody tell them, oh, it's normal, it's okay. And that's why a lot of people do not want to go to church. Or they don't want to talk to Christians because they don't want to feel bad about what they're doing. Because let's face it, all of us are sinners. And at some point in time, we realize, you know, in the temporary, sin feels good. Sin feels good. But until you become a Christian, you start to realize then that that sin is wrong. But the glory behind it is you don't have to live in that shame and that regret. And that when you accept Jesus as your Savior and the Spirit enters within you and you repent, you're forgiven. You're forgiven as if that sin never happened and that sin is gone. The guilt is gone. You no longer feel guilty. Do you still feel like you wish you hadn't done those things? Of course you do. But the guilt isn't there. That guilt that sits on you and just weighs heavy on you, it's not there anymore. That's the beauty of what God does in our hearts when he, when he enters in us and we are saved. We are redeemed. All right, picking it back up on verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And I can sit here and talk about that all day long because let's look at the people who generally don't you know, argue against God all the time. And in my lifetime, I've noticed it's very, very academically smart people 
that are atheists because they, they, they just can't comprehend God. They don't get it because there's not a tangible proof or evidence right in front of them that they could feel, touch, see, and physically talk to God to validate the fact that God is real or not. That's why there's so many very, very academically smart people that don't believe in God. They're, they're too rich in their own knowledge for their own good, pretty much. They, they just can't comprehend God unless it's physically manifest in front of them, which honestly, if it happens, please let me know because it never happened to me before. But I see God in everything that I do now. I go outside, I see the trees, the wind, all this stuff, and I know that's all God. That's proof to me that's God. It's not good enough for them. They want God to pop up right in front of them. And I, 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 I get it to the human standpoint, but that there's so much more to it. Because at the end of the day, what I, when I talk to a lot of atheists, what I tell them is, what's the point of faith if you had every single answer ever laid out in front of you? There's no point to faith after that. There is no point to faith if you had every answer. Faith is about believing in something that you cannot physically touch or something that hasn't happened yet that you were told is going to happen. You have faith that that's going to happen. And that's what we have in God. We have faith. Okay, picking it back up in verse 23. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like the corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And what's this referring to is idols, you know, people going onto idols and worshiping idols. uh, And some of those times, those idols can even be demons. But anything that we put before God can become an idol. Me for one, I love to fish. I love to fish a lot. It's one of those hobbies that I enjoy doing. But there was a point in time where, you know what? Oh, it's going to be a really good fishing day. I'm going to skip church and I'm just going to go fishing and I'll stay out there all day. What am I doing? I'm putting fishing before God. Now, I'm not saying if you don't go to church, you're not a good Christian. Uh, Sometimes people are in between churches. You should go to church. But for me and my conviction, like I knew I should have gone to church, but instead I went out and put fishing above God. Instead of having that fellowship with my fellow Christians and diving into the word, I decided to go fishing instead. Now, don't get me wrong, when I go fishing, I do talk to God a lot. Usually it's, Lord, please help me catch this fish. But at the end of the day, I knew I was putting something before God. And that can be anything for us, whether it's playing video games, it it could be hanging out, sitting around, social media. There's so many distractions from God around nowadays. And in our Christian liberty, if it's not addressed in the Bible then obviously we have to make a decision on that in our conscious, whether or not that's right or wrong. But when that stuff starts to take the take away the presence of God in our lives, when we start putting that before God, that's when it becomes an idol. All right, now we're going to move on to verse 24. And this is where you can see a lot of New Age Christians have an issue with this and choose to ignore this passage because it doesn't fit their theology. So therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped the sir and ser- worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What this is talking about? These are these are some strong words from Paul here. These are very strong words, and it's what it's saying is people would rather sin than believe. People, or even worse, people would rather take God's words, takes, people would rather take God's words and twist them into whatever conforms their own personal ideologies. 
And when I mention, you know, new age, modern day Christianity, whatever you want to call it, postmodern Christians, they got a thousand different labels out there. It's pretty much these younger adults normally that go out and they have this idea of God, the God from the Bible, and then they keep what they like and they throw out what they don't like, which obviously as us Christians, we cannot do that. If it's in the Bible, we have to believe. And that's the main thing that you got to get out of Christianity. Don't worry about all the denominations and all this stuff. If it's not backed up in the Bible, you can try to form opinions based off of logic, but you can't quote that as being biblical and you can't teach that as being biblical. Then you're teaching the commandments of man as if they are a commandment of God. And that in there is the Bible. That is in the Bible. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Who are you to speak the commandments of man as if they were the commandments of God? That's what a lot of people do when they twist the word of God. And that's what verse 25 is talking about. These people are twisting the word of God into what they want or just rather ignore it altogether and sin. We go on with verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Verse 26 and 27 are some of the strongest condemning words of homosexuality today. In that New Age theology, New Age Christianity that a lot of people are talking about, they're, they're embracing the fact that you can be an unrepentant, proud homosexual and still be a Christian. I beg to differ. Can you have homosexual desires and be a Christian? Yes. Obviously, homosexuality is a sin just like any other sin. That sin turns in, that temptation turns into a sin when you start acting on it. And if you are unrepentant of it and you are proud of that sin, that's when I start questioning the fact if you're a Christian or not. Only God knows the heart, but from the outside, if you're proud of your sins, that shows that to me that the Spirit isn't talking to you. And either you don't have the Spirit or the Spirit is, is, is away from you. So once again, this passage, a lot of celebrities that claim to be Christians and other churches, they don't preach on this. You don't hear this stuff in a lot of churches because they don't want to lose members. But anyone who ever can argue that they can be openly and proudly gay, lesbian, trans, whatever the, the terms are nowadays, and be a Christian, uh, I would show them this verse. And there's, there's really no way to argue it because you cannot be openly and proudly living in sin and still be a Christian. There has to be some type of conviction on the heart. And this is outright condemning those actions, just like the Bible condemns a lot of other actions. This just happens to be a very hot button topic in America right now. But when we show this verse to these people in these communities, then they're probably in our workplace. They're probably... Uh, in our communities that we socialize with on an everyday basis, we don't do we don't show them this out of hate. Number one, I wouldn't go running up to them and being like, "Hey, hey, look at this! Look at Romans one twenty six. What you're doing is sinning. You're going to hell. You're going to hell." That's the wrong way to go about it. Do not go about it like that. What you would like to do and what you should do is hopefully through your actions, the light of Christ, the Spirit is shining through you, and that. And people see that. They see your everyday interactions and they're looking at you and they're wondering, there's something a little bit different about this person if they don't know you're a Christian yet. And they might ask you and ding, 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 that's when the door opens up. That's when the door opens up to talk to them. And if you get into this subject and you talk to them about this, 
you don't go and hang it over their head and flaunt them and tell them that they're a sinner and they're going to hell and in a very meaning, mean and demeaning way. We do this with love and sincerity, just like Jesus Christ did. You know, they said Jesus Christ spoke like no other person has ever spoke before. That's what we need to try to emulate. We need to speak with love and sincerity and general care because us as Christians, that's what we do. We can love somebody and care for somebody without even having to know them and showing a general concern for their life. We shouldn't be going on our social media and blasting anti-gay, anti-LBGD stuff all over the place because ultimately we're doing more harm than good. What we should do is when an opportunity arises, we show them love, kindness, and compassion. Moving down into verse 27, it talks about men with men and doing what is shameful and receiving in them the penalty of the error which, is, which was due. What is this talking about? Well, it could be talk about a, a bunch of different things, but it's ultimately talking It's about what happens to you when you sin. And in this case, I can't think of anything else. The first thing that comes to my mind is STDs. Now, let's look at some cold hard facts. Yes, everybody that has sex outside of marriage can get, you know, has a higher risk for getting STDs. I went onto the CDC website, that's the Center for Disease Control, and the STD or STI rate, as they're calling it now, um, it's so much higher in that community. According to the CDC, if you are a gay or bisexual man, you account for 83% of the syphilis cases in the United States. I mean, that's nuts. That's crazy. That's a high number. 83% of the cases of syphilis are contracted from gay or bisexual men. Uh, they are also 17 times more likely to get anal cancer than a heterosexual man. I went to drugabuse.org and studies claim that the LBGT youth are 90% more likely to abuse substances than the rest of the population. It's just, you know, mind-blowing that this, this stuff is, is, is going on and it's high up there. Why? Because these people are living in sin. And we're about to get into this next verse, which will show you exactly why these penalties are happening to these people. We move on to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, as in they don't want to think about God. They don't want God in their head because obviously they're going to feel bad about what they do. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. That's verse 28. What does he mean by a debased mind? which the Greek word for debased means not passing the test, as in they, they gave them over to an altered mental state. You know, they aren't thinking right. And when I see this, I, I, my brain automatically goes to the transgender community because look at these people, these poor people that need God so much. They have such a hard time on life because their mental health is just not all that well. I know there's cases of everything out there and there's always the exception to the rule, but I want to back up everything I say with some facts. I went to the trevorproject.org and it said there that the suicide rate in the LBGT community, especially among transgenders, is three times more likely than a heterosexual. Why is that? Well, Biblically, it's because God gave them over to a debased mind, an altered mental state. They're not thinking straight. They're not, as in, as in the Greek, not passing the test. Their head isn't right. Now, once again, we don't say these things to these people based off of a hate or a pointing fingers, but we approach these people with love and compassion. But this whole passage in Romans from 24 all the way down 
to Romans 30, they is really talking about uh, Romans verse chapter 1, verse 24 to verse 30. I wanted to make sure I correct myself there. This is what happens when God abandons you as a person. When somebody says, I don't want God in my life. I don't want him. I don't care about him. He, he, these are the things that make manifest in your life. These are the things that are going to happen in your life. It all starts off with the lust of their flesh. What is the lust of your flesh? That's things you desire. Money, sex, material possessions. That's the lusts of your flesh. That's the lust, your desires that you want that are not godly. And once you give up to that, then you start going into your even more vile passions. You hit the next level where women exchange the natural abuse of what is against nature. What is that talking about? Women are here for what? Women play a very vital role in the world. And that vital role is, to, according to the Bible, is they have a very vital role in taking care of the household, in supporting their husband, in supporting their family, raising their family. Women, the Bible talks so well about the role of women. It's amazing. You know, you have all these groups out here are all trying to get equal this and equal that. And they're trying to get women on the same plane as men. Well, I say they're already equal. But they're different. They're different because we complement each other. That's how God designed us. A man has a specific purpose and a specific set of skills. Women, they have their purpose and their set of skills. And together, they complement each other. You take it away, you're not complete. There's a role for each. Even look at most homosexual couples. You know, Usually, there's a more masculine one. And there's a more feminine one. And I don't have any stats for that. I'm just going off of what I see in everyday life that goes around me. But usually there is a more masculine one and there is a more feminine one. Because they're trying to complete those roles of one is the man and one is the woman. Because at the end of the day, God created man and woman equally but separately to complement each other. Even the act of sex is something that God blessed us with. He wants us to enjoy ourselves with our partner. And even in the Greek translation when they're talking about sex i don't remember the exact word but it, it means to join together to come together as one two coming together as one it's, it's it's meant to be something amazing and it's meant to be something that is is blessed now we move into verse 28 and, and paul doesn't let up the heat here he keeps going and even is that uh, sorry and even as they did not like to retain god in their knowledge god gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In other words, this is saying, he, Paul just listed out a whole bucket list of sins. He's naming all this stuff out. But what you got to remember when he's naming this out, he's talking about people without God. He's not talking about us now as Christians. He's talking about people without God. And as he goes into this, one of the biggest like eye-opening moments for me was in verse 32, we're saying, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, 
but also approve of those who practice them. So if we get into this debate in America uh, where it comes to start compromising our Christian values like over same-sex marriage, over the transgender stuff, whatever the case may be, if you are approving of these things, you're saying it's their life, they can do what they want, it's okay, they can do this, it's their right, then you're wrong. You are dead wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that we go out and we start protesting things. God doesn't want us to protest. He doesn't want us to start revolutions and overthrow governments and create a ruckus. Us as Christians, we need to be uh, submission, submissive to the role of government. But at the same time, unless it starts calling out us to be able to not live our daily Christian lives the way that we need to, this stuff is all around us. It doesn't mean we have to agree with it, though. And I know today there's a lot of peer pressure around that, makes people want to say, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe this is wrong, but if they want to do it, it's okay. It's, it's okay for them if they want to do it. There's, there's no harm in this. No, that's the wrong way to look at it. Very popular Christian singer came out not too long ago. Um, what's her name? Lauren Daigle. You know, I, I listened to a couple of her songs. She has a beautiful voice. You know, she made some good Christian songs that were put out there, good praise and worship songs. And she started getting more and more popular from what I was reading. And ultimately is jumping over into the secular music world. And she was asked in an interview, like, do you believe that homosexuals are going to go to hell? Or do you believe that homosexuals aren't Christians? It was somewhere along those lines. And what she pretty much did was she did the cop out. Oh, well, I'm not God, so I can't really say. Yes, you can say. You can say. Because we have the word of God right here. And we could just go back to the verses we talked about. These are things that unrepentant. Or as you were, these are things that Christians just don't do openly. They aren't proud of it. Doesn't mean we don't sin as Christians. We sure as heck do sin. I tell you what, I still sin every single day, but I'm sorry for it. And shoot, there's probably sins uh, unconsciously sinning just because we are in this veil of flesh. We are a redeemed people, but we are still in a veil of earthly flesh and we are going to continue sinning. But the difference between Christians and non-Christians is that we feel bad about it and we repent on it. And when Lauren Daigle was asked this question, she did the cop-out. When she should, if she's a Christian, she knows the answer. She knows it's not right, but she was letting the world influence her. And she was more afraid of losing her fame or whatever deals that she had going on than she actually was about Letting the light of God shine through and giving an answer. You can, it's okay as a Christian to say that you don't approve of the LBGT community, but you can do it in a way that is loving. You don't do it in a hateful way. I, that's the theme of this, I could tell. You do not do this stuff in a hateful way or a pride way. You do it in a way of love and sincerity because that's what this gospel message is about. It's about love and sincerity. So in that last passage of verses that we read from 28 to uh, 32, really, it's, it's a lot to take in. And you might get a twinge of fear out of it, but if you're saved, you shouldn't. You know why? Because all that stuff that Paul just named out, it can be forgiven. It can be washed away. It can go into the sea. We don't have to worry about it because that's what God does for us ultimately. He takes the sins and makes them as if they never were when we repent on it. Jesus Christ already died on the cross to save us. We are saved and we are forgiven. All we need to do is repent and we'll be cleansed. And that's it. As if all that stuff never happened.
will be made a new person, as the Bible tells us. Made new. And that's the overall thing that you need to remember when reading Romans 1. Is this is what happens to somebody who abandons God. God will abandon them. But if that person can come to Christ, if that person can accept Christ, then all of that is forgiven. So ultimately, there's a lot of hard stuff in this chapter. But like I keep on harping on, the good news is, the gospel, is that you can be forgiven of all this. This word, his word in this Bible can cleanse us. All right, we're going to go ahead and end it there. Uh, Next week, we're going to pick up on Romans chapter 2. Theme of that, God's righteous judgment. All right, let's go ahead and end this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to read your word and, and be able to break it apart and dissect it and the technology today for us to go ahead and share this with everybody else, Lord. I pray that when we read your word, Lord, that all preconceived notions on our end are, are eliminated and we just read your word for what it is, Lord, and we accept and choose to believe that this word in your Bible, Lord, is all true. Thank you so much, Lord, for coming into our lives and forgiving us, showing us that the things that happen in Roman, nothing is beyond your forgiveness. There's no sin beyond your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you so much for all that you do. I pray for everybody in this community, Lord, that we will continue to walk in the Spirit and grow stronger and stronger every day. Thank you for all you do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I hope you guys have a good day, and I hope this passage here shows you how you can use Romans 1 in your everyday life. This is Tim Perko for I'm a Christian. Now what? Signing off.